Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And today we are back broadcasting from the wonderful city of Los Angeles, which has now been my home for 27 years, and I love it. Today's Cinco de Mayo, which is Spanish for the 5th of May, and it's a celebration in the United States and in Mexico. It is big. Today commemorates the Mexican Army's unlikely victory over French forces at the Battle of Puebla on May the 5th, 1862. It's a big celebration, a great excuse for a party and a drink. So to all of our Spanish friends listening, we wish you a happy Cinco de Mayo. Now, when preparing for the show, I'm always looking for unique or interesting things that I think may be interesting to you. And uh, a couple of things this week caught my attention. The first of which involves one of my favourite subjects, which is 3D printers. You know how at least one company is making 3D printers? Yeah, you guessed it. They're printing them on a 3D printer. (laughs) I love that. That struck me as being extremely cool. Another couple of items that caught my attention during the week both concern the Apple Watch. Firstly, people are complaining that the um, digital crown part of the watch is getting sticky. So what does um, Apple recommends a a high-tech solution for this? Stick it under a tap for 15 seconds. Now, the interesting thing about this is, stick it under a tap for 15 seconds, the Apple Watch is not actually waterproof. (laughs) So... The second interesting thing about the Apple Watch is if you have a tattoo with red ink that's on your wrist underneath your watch, it won't work properly. Apparently, the Apple Watch sensor that measures heart rate does not work well on users that have these red ink tattoos under their watch. So I don't know whether this is a problem. Are people that go to the extent of having their wrists tattooed actually able to use an Apple Watch? I'm not a big fan of tattoos, as you probably gathered. There's been an explosion of apps for the new Apple Watch. At at last count, there's about 3,500 new apps, and the watch is only now hitting the market. So people are pretty quick off the mark. Some of these apps are really cool. Um, One that I thought was interesting is for musicians. You can now tune your guitar with your Apple Watch. That's what 1K Media Multimedia offers with the Apple Watch. The tuning indicator on the watch face turns neon green when your guitar strings are in tune. That's pretty cool. So if, you've got a, if you haven't got a good ear, then you can still tune your guitar. And there's no question that it's going to be perhaps the number of apps and the applications um, that determine whether the Apple Watch is a practical device that will have longevity or whether it's just a gimmick that will last a couple of years. Um, And I only say a couple of years because in a couple of years you'll have to buy the updated version. 
the people that I know that have an Apple Watch say that it's difficult to learn how to use and it takes a bit of time to work out its functionality. Of course, the question is, what functionality will work on the watch compared with the same applications on an iPhone because of the size of that screen? The surface of the screen is so small that only simple graphics and a few numerals will work. So I think you can expect lots of tweets and tweaks and updates during this few months as developers and users decide what works and what doesn't. Having said that, there are still a lot of bloody good applications for Apple Watch that are available now. For example, mobile banking apps that help you find your nearest ATM or branch and display a cash code for accessing emergency cash. Now, that's going to be very popular on your, on your iWatch, I reckon. The post office and, and delivery services like FedEx and um, the like will notify you of a parcel's expected delivery date and you'll be able to track it. So I think that'll be pretty popular. And if you live in LA, we've had two earthquakes in a week here. So a must for every Apple Watcher emergency service alerts. So you can access all manage manner of sources of of natural disaster information such as bushfire, floods, cyclone, thunderstorm, earthquake or other threat within a certain defined radius of your home or whether you're, where you're currently located. I think that's a, that's a cool application. Of course, airlines are quick off the mark to develop apps that um, enable you to buy tickets and check schedules and notify you of your flight number and boarding time, where where to pick up your luggage, etc. That's pretty cool. And another essential app, I reckon, for most people, or at least until television becomes obsolete, which is probably only about 10 years away, uh, it provides not only the television guide and enables you to set your recorder remotely, etc., but it'll give you um, reminders and favourites, You'll also be able to get plot details and cast details. So that's pretty handy for those people who still watch television. So I think the most important apps for the Apple Watch are those that are really practical and help you go about your day-to-day business. For example, there's an app called Invoice2Go Professional, which tells tradesmen how long they've been working at a job, lets you clock out and create a pre-compiled invoice And it also tells you when you've been paid. That's pretty practical and handy for a tradesman just to wear the watch. And to help you get to and from work and make your vacation run more smoothly, there's TripView, which tells you when your next train, bus, ferry is due. That's pretty handy. Another pretty cool app for your Apple phone, a Quick Maths Junior, which is, that's a game that... um, essentially covers the easy maths for kids. And the best part is you can track your child's progress as you go along. And the last one I want to mention is Zova, a rhythm-based fitness program where you can receive workout prompts, you can preview exercises, access playback controls, and view your weekly progress. So if you're trying to lose 50 pounds, you can track it on your Zova Z-O-V-A. So providing the Apple Watch is not too difficult to use, 
and the tiny screen does not make it totally impractical for big adults with big fingers, maybe it just might be the efficiency tool that we all need. Now, while we're talking about the Apple Watch, a new report from UBS claims there is lacklustre interest in Apple Watch, despite sales of $4 million in the first few days. Interest in the Apple Watch is tepid, says USB, lowering estimates for Apple Watch sales in fiscal year 2016 to $31 million. They previously had it at $41 million. So that's a 25% cut. And uh, they have two reasons for that. Firstly, interest's been much lower. In fact, only about 20% of people that have iPads and iPhones and are inquiring about them are inquiring about the, phone, about the watch. And secondly, they think that only about 7% of the people who own um, iPhone 5 and 6 will bother to buy a watch. So that's a lot less than they thought before. Now, still, if you think about it, 31 million watches are still a hell of a lot of watches. But um, USB believes that the fact that we are seeing weak interest shortly after the product's released is pretty worrisome. They're also sceptical about word of mouth doing much for the watch because it's difficult to use. And apparently most people that have bought the watch are using it mainly as a watch. Kind of defeats having all that stuff in it, doesn't it? UBS says the watch is not like an iPhone or even an iPad where you've got all these features you can show off to people. But early adopters, you know, they're usually techie people and techie people will get to use it and the more people use it, the more they'll get used to it. But the next wave of consumers, people like me, will be the real test for the Apple Watch. Now, once a, once about every month, I have um, dinner with a very close friend of mine, Bill Uglow, who's um, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at CMG Worldwide. They're such a cool company. Um, they're responsible for licensing of the world's most famous people. Most of them dead, of course, but people like Betty Page, James Dean, Jackie Robinson, Ella Fitzgerald, Gene Harlow, and hundreds more. We regularly catch up for dinner, and the other night, Bill was telling me about the work they are doing with holograms to bring all these dead superstars to life, either to give appearances or to attend events or whatever. Now, as you know, I'm originally Australian, coming here 27 years ago, and so this story caught my eye. Physicist Stephen Hawking is making a presentation in Sydney at the Sydney Opera House as a hologram. And this is apparently only the start of celebrity hologram appearances down under. Bill Clinton, Richard Branson, Anthony Robbins, Kiyosaki, Trump, they'll all soon be heading to Australia as virtual speakers without having to sit on that bloody plane for 15 hours. That's pretty cool. That's due to a partnership between ARHT Media, developers of hologram-type technology, and Success Resources Global, a seminar organiser that's got a, they got a stable of high-profile speakers and entrepreneurs. Incidentally, ARHT stands for Augmented Reality Holographic Technology, and the two companies are jo- jointly developing 
a global license and distribution partnership for both real-time and pre-recorded events. So they can do simultaneous hologram broadcasts across the globe. They're called humograms. H-U-M-A, I guess, stands for human. Humograms. And they can be um, on one or more display stages simultaneously, both um, on and off stage, personal one-on-one sessions. Um, They can do product and brand advertising, event promotion, attendee monetization. The opportunities for the use of humograms are endless. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show worldwide on Voice America Business along with zillions of other people, and we're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, doesn't matter what it is, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com, and we will answer it on air or email you directly. Now, make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter. It'll be sent out next week to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries. Over the past four years, I have conducted over 200 interviews with some phenomenal people. Unbelievable. And today's interview is a real treat. This is a fantastic success story. Miko Branch is the co-founder and CEO of Miss Jessie's. You ladies out there will know Miss Jessie's. It's a multi-million dollar hair care empire that Miko built up from a humble Brooklyn saloon. Salon. Miko is celebrated for transforming transforming the hair care industry. She established an entirely new category of products and she's received a million accolades and I can't think of anyone that is more deserving of those accolades. She's a great lady. She is amazing. Miko Branch with me after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most extraordinary and interesting, more importantly, people and find out what it is that makes them tick. 
Starting a business is really difficult. It's hard. It's hard work and uh, it takes a lot of diligence, a lot of sacrifice. And most businesses, unfortunately, fail. So, and most people that I get to, to meet and to speak to that are different and have achieved great results began life like most of us in average ordinary circumstances but they just really made the most of it so what makes these people take on interesting and unusual projects and what is it that drives them to make them great now this is the segment where hopefully we find out now Miko Branch is the co-founder and CEO of Miss Jessie's now if you're a guy and you're out there and you're not worried about those curls. Miss Jessie's is a multi-million dollar hair care empire that Miko built up with a sister from a humble Brooklyn salon. And uh, Miko celebrated for transforming the hair care industry by establishing an entirely new category of products specifically for natural and curly hair. This girl is a superstar. If you look her up on Google, she is everywhere. She's been featured on the cover of Woman's Wear Daily, Beauty Inc, and Ebony listed her in its Power 100 Innovators and Influencers. She's been featured in O, which is Oprah's magazine, Teen Vogue, Red Book, Essence, Cosmo Latina, and other magazines. She's done a whole bunch. She's the recipient of the Network Journal's 25 Influential Black Women in Business Award in 2015. Wow. Pretty good, huh? Hi, Miko. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob Pritchard. How are you? I am great. Well, you've been a busy girl. Yes, I have. I, I've been uh, running Miss Jessie's, and um, I've been really promoting this book, and it's, it's amazing because I'm, I'm able to tell our story. That's great. Now, right out of high school, you worked with your father at the branch cleaning agency, so then you and your sister Titi founded Miss Jessie's and achieved great success. Now, that's, that's quite a leap, isn't it? I mean, how did that come about? Well, you know, my dad had always uh, shared the importance of being an entrepreneur, and my dad wouldn't turn down any job that could bring home money to the family. So sure. whether it's, you know, be a, you know, he drove caps, my dad was also a teacher. Um, he was many things, wore many hats. And uh, when we got out of college, my dad decided that uh, he was going to open up a cleaning agency. Right. And guess who was going to work in it? <laughs> my sister and I. And my sister and I thought it would be, you know, easy enough because we were no strangers to cleaning up because our dad, uh, you know, we, everyone had to pitch in in our house. Sure. And we just rolled our sleeves up and we, you know, cleaned as, as, as much as we could. And we started, uh, you know, getting clients, and uh, we we learned that we can earn some money by offering a service. So that was, um, you know, that was a fortunate situation because my dad created that that scenario where we could make mistakes and and learn about business, you know, under his yeah. under his umbrella. So that was a wonderful experience that my dad uh, laid out for teaching I. It also gave you a work ethic, didn't it? I mean, it, uh, I, I had a similar situation, and I think when you um, work as part of a family unit and you 
everybody's required to pitch in and you do whatever's required and you don't argue and you just go ahead for the good of everybody you really do learn a very valuable lesson with regard to having a work ethic and and wanting to go and achieve don't you Absolutely, and by that time we were young adults, so we had uh, we hadn't been strangers to hard work because we had to pitch in as kids growing up. My yeah. my sister and I, you know, we helped our father paint and spackle and clean, um, uh, you know, all the homes that he prepared to sell because he was in real estate prior. So by the time we got into the cleaning business, you know, we were no strangers to hard work, but it was a wonderful experience for all of us because we got a chance to see what it's like, the family dynamic, to work in a business together. And it's not always, you know, it's not always daisies. You know, it can be very challenging because, you know, there's different roles that we all have as a father, as daughter, as sister. So um, we learned some early lessons, you know, in a family business. So um, that was that was good for us. So how did you jump from cleaning to this hair care empire? How did that come about? You just decided one day that you were going to be terrific at doing hair. (laughs) Okay, I'm sick of cleaning. I'm going to do hair. Yeah, well, you know... The thing is, is that I didn't choose to um, work in the cleaning business. It was an opportunity that was presented to me, sure. and um, I went for it. And I, I, I quickly discovered that I did not like scrubbing toilets. Yeah, there was no passion there. That just wasn't something that I wanted to do. And um, you know, working with my dad was pretty challenging because my dad is an alpha male, and he wanted things a particular way. Um, so it was really, really clear to me that I wanted to do something that I was passionate about and I wanted to participate in, you know, forming a business from soup to nuts with something that I loved. So while I was in the cleaning business with my dad and my sister, I was paying attention to all the things that I did not want to do as well as maybe, you know, keeping an open eye for things that I wanted to do. So I was able to eliminate that kind of manual labor and I knew that the next, you know, the next go round. I would choose something that I loved. So hair, I had always been good at it. But funny enough, Bob, before I chose to go to hair school, I made one stop and I went to FIT, which is a fashion school here in New York City. And it's the Fashion Institute of Technology. And again, I was paying attention to not only what I wanted to do, I was also paying attention to what I did not want to do. And I realized when I was learning all the ins and outs of becoming a fashion designer, I learned that the projects took too long and it required too much money and I would need, you know, some kind of backdoor investor if I wanted to ever have my own line. Yeah. And very quickly I was able to assess that um, that, that might have been a bit much. So I, I defaulted to something that I was good at and that's how I came uh, to make the decision that here was the role that I was going to focus on. So in, in your father's business, did you have anything to do with sort of the administration and running of the business or were you just working and taking direction from your dad? Well, it was funny. So my father set up this business, but he kind of left it up to Titi and I to figure out how to get it started. You know, okay. meaning get clients, you know, come up with any kind of administrative, you know, processes, all that. He, he simply just incorporated and told us, here's a business, you guys are in the cleaning business, make it a success. 
So, yeah, so we did a lot of manual labor. <laughs> cleaning we were, toilets. We, 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 yeah, cleaning toilets. We, we, we did a lot of that. And then, you know, as we were able to gain some accounts, you know, there's a, a, the administrative part that goes along with it. But that was mainly my sister and myself. My dad didn't really participate in that. But it wasn't until my dad saw that this could be something that could be successful. And that's when he joined us later. So that, that's how the cleaning business went with us. Because running a business, there's a lot more to running a business than just having a great product, isn't it? There, there, there's all the administration, there's the finance, there's the sales, there's um, relating to other people. There's a whole range of things. So you really learnt that when your dad threw you in the deep end, if you like, and uh, made you run the business. So that convinced you that you could actually run your own company. Yeah, I, I was there because my dad threw us in both of us, uh, I, I can speak for myself, it gave me the confidence as a yeah. young business person to understand uh, what I wanted and what I didn't want in the kind of business that I would run and be a part of. So that opportunity, you know, although it was really hard work and it was, it was, it, it could, it was, it was also frustrating at times because I was a younger Miko and while a lot of my friends were hanging out, I was working in this business. But anyway, that opportunity really allowed me to sharpen my focus. So when I made my next move, which was here, I was more more deliberate about what I wanted to do. So thanks yeah. to my dad. Wouldn't it be great to be able to know what we know now when we're about 17? <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrific? <laughs> Think but, of all the... <laughs> Yeah, let me tell you, it would have saved me so much time. (laughs) Yeah, all the pain you go through. Yeah, if I could have learned all this in a class, that would have been been fantastic. Yeah. Now, this program is listened to by entrepreneurs across the world, and, and they all know that it's hard to build a business, and they know the struggles that are involved. So what was the biggest challenge that you faced when you... Past the cleaning business, you now decided that you want to go into hair. What was the biggest challenge you faced in those early years, and how did you address it, or them? Yeah, well, um, in the early years, I worked in other salons, so I wasn't feeling really challenged at that point. But when I made a decision to start my own business, I would say the biggest challenge was having no money. To start a business um, in any capacity with no money to really back up your aspirations is probably one of the most challenging things anyone could ever do. Yeah, sure. And I Agree. thought it was challenging. So um, in the early days when I decided that I did not want to work in salons because I found the politics in the salons to be just really unworthy of my time, <laughs> uh, I, I started doing here in the house, Bob. And to build up a clientele and not really have that much of a clientele and have no money as, you know, as a, as a parachute, you know, to really save me on those moments when I didn't have the, the client flow that I needed. Those were scary times. Yeah. Those were scary times and um, doing a lot of praying. But I had a wonderful opportunity with my sister. And my sister Titi at the time decided that she was going to start a 
repping uh, a repping company. Right. She was a rep talent. She wasn't sure what kind of talent it would be. <laughs> and at one point, she, you know, she rep photographers. But at one, you know, there there was a time when Titi and I realized that we were in the same business. And um, I, I was a great talent, and Titi recognized it, and uh, we put our talents together, and that's when we started to see the magic come together. It was that partnership I had with my sister. Great. You're right about being a new mum working in an industry that requires a very polished look and trying to maintain a straight hairstyle while you're doing all the things like changing diapers and... <laughs> Um, having a splashing kid in the bath every night. So you decided to go natural. What was the aha moment when you realized that there was a sizable market out there for um, um, women interested in natural hair care? Well, you know, it was pretty instantaneous once the moment happened. And that moment, like you said, it was bath time with my son. (laughs) <laughs> and at the time, I was a single parent, Bob, and uh, I'm the kind of single parent who, you know, the dad, my son's dad, was not involved in any capacity. Yeah. So it was really important for me to be in my son's life and for us to really form that bond because I was well aware of, you know, sure. you know his dad wasn't going to be around. So if you wanted to get your hair done by me, you would have to come to my house. And at the time, we lived in Bedford-Stuyvesant, and, at, and, and back in 1999, Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, was considered the bona fide hood. Yep. And uh, uh, I gave my son bath on the fourth floor, and if you wanted to come and get your hair done by me, not only did you have to come to the hood to get your hair done by me at my house, you also had to see me with hair that was not straight. You had to see me with hair that was kinky, curly, and wavy all at one time because I just come from the fourth floor giving my son a bath. And that started a conversation when my client saw my hair and they said that they wanted to wear their hair like mine. And it was that moment that I understood that here's my opportunity. I couldn't think of anyone better to, uh, you know, become an expert in it because we had all of the, uh, the, the tools in terms of, you know, strategies in the salon. Yeah. And then we had the hair to go with it. So that was our moment, and we, we, we jumped on it. Yeah, I guess telling women that to get their hair um, looking natural, if you like, um, getting a kid and throwing them in the bath every night wasn't probably the best way to do it. <laughs> so, and it's a, it's a funny thing to ask for, Bob, because you know women they were asking for something that they already had. Yeah. So many many women just didn't know it. So, what advice would you give other entrepreneurs about how they can look beyond that day to day work and focus on a long term vision for a business like you and TT did by developing curly pudding? What the hell is curly pudding? <laughs> so pudding sounds decided, great. I, I'm big we, on pudding. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. So when we decided that we were going to specialize in curly hair, it was a it, it was quite you know it was a it was a big thing because there was nothing in terms of product to support all that we wanted to do in the salon. Right. So we had an opportunity to be also raised by our grandmother, Miss Jessie Mae Branch. And when there, you know, she would whip things up at her kitchen table from scratch when, you know, a supermarket didn't exactly have what she wanted. 
Right. And it was right. that exposure to that resourcefulness, and it was that, you know, us sitting at the kitchen table with our grandmother. Those were the things that TV and I tapped into when there was nothing in the market to support what we wanted to do. So we found ourselves whipping up product at our kitchen table the way we saw our grandmother do, you know, as we were growing up. And finally, it was my sister, Titi, who stayed up. She stayed up later than I, Bob, because I had the baby. And my sister would stay up later and really try to perfect this concoction we were trying to come up with at our kitchen table. And finally, she did. Titi woke me up around 3 o'clock in the morning (laughs) and she introduced me to curly pudding. And Curly Pudding was named, first of all, we decided to name our product line after our grandmother, Miss Jessie, because that's where we got our inspiration, and she ripped things up at her kitchen table. That's what we were doing. But we named it Curly Pudding because it had that pudding kind of feel, and it was something that looked just like something that my grandmother would whip up at her kitchen table. And at the time, nothing in the curly hair space was named after food and referenced after food, but it looked just like everything we would see at our grandmother's table, so we, you know, Curly had to be in there, but it, it surely looked like a, a great pudding my grandmother made, and that's how Curly Pudding came to be. What a great name. I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you credit some of your entrepreneurial spirit to growing up in Queens in the 80s. Um, now, while that was a, a hot bit of creativity, I guess, for early hip-hop, it, was, it wasn't the sort of place where most kids got inspired to be entrepreneurs. So what was different? What was different about you? How come you blossomed out as this great creative talent um, and most of your peers, well, not most, that's probably unfair, but a lot of your peers um, didn't? Well, you know, it came from home. I, you know, my mother was very creative and artistic. She was going to the School of Visual Arts, and she was always uh, in touch and really focused on beautiful things, and she always had an artistic approach to everything. So that was an exposure that we had at home. But we also had this driving force, which was our dad. He's an alpha male, and it was really important for him to raise his daughters to be independent. He talked about being free in our minds. Uh, He talked about us being in a position of choice. Those things are really important to him, and I imagine they were because he came out of the whole civil rights movement. So he understood the sacrifices that were made for Titi and I to be able to choose and to decide. And um, he thought independence was extremely extremely wonderful it was a great opportunity for us and he wanted us to take full advantage so he couldn't think of any better way for us to do it than for us to be our own boss own boss is wonderful when you're making money but own boss (laughs) extends outside of just making money it means you're in charge of your life and he's seen you know his, his 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 people before him not have those opportunities so that was on his mind he shared that with us every day bob because there wasn't one day he didn't talk about being in a position of choice so we had that coming from our household and then when we were exposed to things like hip hop and we were you know in contact with the creativity and the art form of queens eventually as young adults it all finally came together but again it was a mixture of things it wasn't just one influence 
And because Titi and I did not go to business school or did not have any formal training, it was all of those experiences, you know, exposures and, you know, mentors that we had that we tapped into when it came to creating our own business. So um, a lot of it came from home. I would love to have been a fly on the wall when alpha father meets alpha daughter um, over a discussion. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that, that, you know, that was a wonderful journey, but my dad and I and Titi, it was the real deal. My dad was adamant that he wanted us to be these independent thinkers and he would put us in these, you know, situations and create opportunities for us to really show what we knew. And sometimes that meant that we would need to disagree with him. Yeah, I can and imagine. We were able, <laughs> yeah, Bob. If we were able to hold our own against our dad, then my dad understood that we were qualified. And you know, we had to pass his test. And he, he certainly, he took no shortcuts with us. And, you know, sometimes we joke with him and say he raises his boys. But, um, yeah, my dad's school was no joke. And um, if we're able to win a debate or get our point across with our dad, then that meant that we were really qualified. So in his mind, you know, he felt like uh, we earned our stamp of approval. So um, <laughs> that was how it was in our house. I love that. I can imagine. Um, so in the 90s, there's... A lot of change going on. Um, Afrocentric fashion and music was hot, and lots of things were happening. There was great um, television shows like In Living Color and Living Single. So, what was it that contributed to the growth in the uh, natural hair movement? It, was that was that always there, or did it sort of blossom for some reason in the in the nineties? Well, uh, I think, you know, every decade, you know, has its interest and its peaks. And, you know, we've seen interest in, you know, Afrocentric culture, whether it be hair, whether it be a political statement. And, you know, in the 70s, we saw, you know, an embrace of natural hair. In the early 90s um, to mid-90s, we saw it too. And sometimes it dies down. It has its peaks and valleys. But I would say towards the latter part of the 90s and with the high concentration in the early 2000s, um, with the Internet to support this conversation, we got a chance to see women who were um, frustrated with their hair. They wanted different options. They had been through years of maybe chemicals or braids or weaves, and they wanted to try something different. So a conversation was happening around the same time that my sister and I moved our business to our brownstone in in Bedford-Stuyvesant, and also around the time that I had my son. So we didn't deliberately, you know, set out to, uh, you know, focus on curls, kinks, and waves, but it was just a wonderful coincidence that there was, you know, there was some things that were going on in our lives that were also a part of a conversation that women were having online 
we were able to tap into that conversation because my, my, my life changed. And then we were able to offer solutions and advertise our business on our website. And that's how we made the connection and that's how we had foray into this whole natural hair movement and conversation to very quickly we became a leader because now we were offering, you know, we were offering, you know, uh, solutions or strategies and, and then finally product. And that's what really blew up and took off in terms of Miss Jessie's participation and, and my sister and, and, and my contribution to this whole movement in hair. How did so you, that's, that's, how did you promote ahead. your online presence? How did anybody know where well, to find you? Was that just word of mouth? Yes. At first, it was word of mouth. There was a client, a single client. Her name was Simone Harris, and she participated in this. They call it chat rooms back then. Yep, yep. On naturallycurly.com. And she'd come, and she'd gotten her hair done. She loved it. She talked about her service on naturallycurly.com. And that sparked the interest um, of other, you know, board members and then, um, one by one, we started seeing these naturally curly referrals come till eventually we got our own website. And it was that website that played such a huge role in Miss Jessie's participation in the whole natural curly and, 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 and kinky hair movement in that we posted before and after pictures and showed women what the possibilities were. And before right. that, you didn't... You know, what can be done with, you know, kinky hair, frizzy hair, curly hair. But every day after a session of work in the salon, we would post before and after pictures and we would keep the, 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 the pictures fresh. And then we got so many eyeballs and it was a topic of conversation that when it came time for us to come out with our product, we had had that anticipation from all of these women, and it was just we, we were at the we were we were there at the right time, and the internet we were working it till its fullest capacity. Great, and um, it was great for two girls who didn't have advertising budgets. It was that internet, you know, lined up with our talent, and um, that combination put us on the map. That's fantastic. Um, I speak to a lot of um, entrepreneurs who ignore um, or don't appreciate the um, importance of controlling their IP and they s suffer because of it. So what made you and TT realize how important it was that you had um, your IP protected because in the cleaning business you know you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had that experience. So what what sort of alerted you to be IP wise? Well, it's so funny. It was those conversations. It was hearing our dad, you know, speak his speak while we were growing up. You know, we need to own our stuff. <laughs> you yeah. need to be in control. You need to... Um, ownership was really, really important. It was right up there with being free in our minds. And my dad, would not only would he talk about ownership, he would give us examples. He talked about Ray Charles and him owning his own masters. He talked about, you know, some of the artists that we saw who were not in control, you know, of their talent, who were not in control of their, their product. And he outlined in all the different ways what happens when you don't own uh, what belongs to you. So when we came across, you know, Curly Pudding, and we decided that, you know, this was something that was really revolutionary, it was already clear in our minds that we needed to own it in the best way that we could 
so um, you know, in the event that it did turn out to be this huge and wonderful thing, we would be in a position of power and, and choice and, and, you know, all of those wonderful things that our father drilled into our minds growing up. So that came, you know, that by that time we were young adults, it was just a natural, it was the next natural thing to do because we couldn't have done all that we did, mixing at the kitchen table and, you know, offering all of those wonderful hair solutions with at the end of the day, we don't own it because we understood the importance and that's thanks to our dad. That's great. Um, not many consumer products can boast of being approached by Target to get in the stores, but you can. And at first you ignored them. Hello, this is Target. We want to place this big order. No, I don't think so. Go away. <laughs> Tell me about the Target experience. Well, it's so funny. Had Target identified themselves as Target, it would have saved us some time and we probably would have gotten on a plane to meet them sooner. But the call that we got was from a third party. Right. So we weren't able to identify that it was Target. And by that time, we had gotten so many calls from so many different people, and it was hard for us to make the distinction who was who. So you know, just, just by general practice, if you didn't identify yourself as someone that was bona fide, then you know, it would be easier for sure. us to just you know, pass it on. And that's what we did. Thank God uh, Target told this third party to call us back. And they must have said something right to our receptionist at the time, which was an older Southern black woman. And uh, she thought that what they were saying, you know, was, was bona fide. She passed the phone to Titi and myself. We put them on speaker. And when they said, my sister asked, well, where is this meeting? And they said, it's in Minneapolis. And anyone who knows anything about Target knows that their headquarters was, is in Minneapolis. And that Minneapolis plug was what made TT decide that we're going to look into it. We got the most expensive plane to Minneapolis <laughs> because it's, it's, yeah, it, it, I guess we did it at the last minute, which we did. And yep. um, we went there and before we knew it, Target ordered up everything. And it was, it was an incredible experience because normally you're trying to get Target to buy your product. Absolutely. And we were doing something right and that Target called us and it was just such a simple, hey, we're going to order everything and that was pretty much the end of it. We've only got a very little bit of time left, but sadly your sister and co-founder TT passed away a few months ago. So what would you like people to know about TT and a, a role in making Miss Jessie's the big success that it is today? My sister, Titi Branch, played such an incredible role in Miss Jessie's. Uh, we revolutionized the hair care business together. But before we created Miss Jessie's, Titi was my big sister. Titi created a platform for me to really hone in on my craft so I can become an expert. And so I could really get good at what I was doing. And once I was able to get good at, at what I was doing, that partnership that I had with my sister really enabled both of us to eat off uh, the initial talent, which was, you know, I'm doing here. But then by that initial seed money, we were able to grow our business out and then get into product. And my sister was the one who cracked that nut with curly pudding. My sister was also really amazing in that 
although she wasn't in the hair business and also and although she didn't train to become a hairstylist at first, my sister had the right amount of distance from an industry that already had practices that were in place. Right. And because she didn't really had, have anything to lose when she was introducing new concepts or new ways to approach the business, it was that fresh perspective that she lent to our partnership, you know, whether it be yeah. going into Target, whether it be, you know, running our salon in a particular way that was unique and different from everyone else. It was my sister's fresh perspective that she lent to the hair and beauty industry, which helped to revolutionize it. She was such an incredible woman. She was very kind. She was very giving. Not only did Titi, uh, not only was she key in creating product for Miss Jessie's, Titi also thought it was really important to share information. So before bloggers, before vloggers, it was Titi Branch who very early on decided that we need to not hold, you know, our strategies in the salon secret. We need to let women know what we're doing so they can take this product and do their hair themselves, which liberated women and which allowed them and enabled them to really embrace their hair. And while they were embracing their hair, it helped them to really get closer to their esteem if there was a need to rebuild esteem, if there had been any damage done in the years prior. She was so instrumental in so many, you know, different ways in our business, but it, it extended out far out from our business. She's touched so many people's lives and... Um, it's a tremendous loss, but Titi and I built a wonderful business together, and with that, I'm able to carry on her legacy. Her spirit is with us every day, and I hope she's proud of everything that I'm doing. And I hope she's in paradise. I'm sure she is. All I can say is thank God for Dad, for Titi, for Simone Harris, for Mixed Masters, and for a receptionist that decided that target was genuine Mika it's been great speaking with you I've really enjoyed it now if you want to know more about Miko or um, Miss Jessie's you can go to MissJessie's.com and the new book which is great I've only read I must admit I've only read about 20 pages but it's creating a successful business from scratch naturally and the book's called Miss Jessie's it's it's the 10 pages or 20 pages or whatever it is that I've read are lovely so I urge you to grab a copy of Miss Jessie's Creating a Successful Business from Scratch there's lessons for every entrepreneur in that you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network and I'll be back with you after this short break Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Business Radio Show. We are coming to you this week from Los Angeles after a great show last week from Mountain View in Silicon Valley. 
I love getting out of um, out of town to do shows. It's great to meet new people and to um, be able to circulate. Now, this show is all about entrepreneurs, and we know that there are a million books written by all sorts of business experts. Five of those books are mine, <laughs> and these books can be extraordinarily helpful. I've been a um, a devourer of books, in fact. In my office, I have hundreds of books, and I must admit I haven't read them all. I've read bits out of nearly all of them, but um, I probably get five or six business books sent to me a week, and I try to um, keep abreast of as best I can. Um, but, you know, we know that books do, do good because um, with my books, I've got lots and lots of letters and testimonials from people who... Um, thank me for tips and say that they tried something in such and such a chapter and it went really well and um, I'm the reason that their business is a success, etc. So people do take notice of books and they do read them, but um, there's no question that the best learning tool is experience and listening to mentors and people that have actually been there, done it, been successful. Um, and you can ask questions and you can find out exactly what they did. That's, that's really the best way to learn. There are millions of important tips such as, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes because every time you make a mistake, you learn from it. Don't be afraid from failing because every time you fail, it's, you're getting a bit closer to success. Um, people who are more successful than everyone else have just failed a few more times than everyone else. You know, if you keep keep knocking at the door, eventually it will open. But um, so we've we've all heard all those um, um, tips, if you like. So the key is not to be better. The most important thing is to be different. You know, that's what people don't remember. Um, the small differences between products, they remember things that are different. So, you know, we've all been told things like go the extra mile, be first to arrive at the office and last to leave. But um, there's a recent Cura thread, asked entrepreneurs for advice that nobody ever gives you. And there's eight of our favorite business tips that you don't hear every day. Number one, don't be too loyal. It'll hold you back. Now, research shows that people who make the most money are those who switch companies rather than staying put. In fact, staying loyal to your company for two or more years can result in you earning 50% less over your lifetime. That's a lot, isn't it? 50% less over your lifetime. The second business tip that you don't hear very often is don't worry about being better. Just be different. So don't worry about being better. Just be different so that you stand out. I used to always get through um, gatekeepers in America because of my accent. You know, you, you get through to the gatekeeper and you talk to them nicely and they remember who you are and you can ring them back six months later and say, hi, how are you? And they say, I remember that accent, it's Bob Pritchard. And 
So you had an advantage over the um, the million other people that just sounded really American. And if an American goes to Australia, the same thing applies. Uh, now, sometimes being the best raises flags. If you're better than all of your competitors, well, first of all, they shouldn't be competitors in the first place. You should be working at a higher level than them if, than them if you really are better. And the only way you can beat people who are more qualified or better qualified is to be unique. People remember unique. The third business tip you probably won't hear is to be smart about looking at your phone. When people see you check your phone every call and then frequently don't answer, and then when they ring you and you don't answer, they think that you've put them on a low priority and are just not bothering to answer the phone. So be careful about looking at your phone every time there's a call. The fourth business tip, now this one sounds totally counterintuitive, and that is don't look too busy. Ironically, the busier you appear, often the less you'll move up. Often smart and dedicated employees fail to get promoted because they've taken on too much, they're working too hard, and they appear too pressured. So don't miss opportunities for advancement by appearing overly stressed and unprepared to take on more tasks. Another counterintuitive business tip is to publicize your failures. If you show that you're willing to take risks and publicly falter, your team feels confident taking risks too. So lead by example. Most people do not regard somebody as credible if they're giving advice and recommendations but are not walking the walk. Business tip number six you're not likely to hear is irrespective of what role you have in your business, you must make sure you keep yourself financially educated. Most people who didn't major in economics or go to business school know squat about financial literacy. But you've got to educate yourself about money if you want to become rich. You can't get rich if you don't understand money. The seventh business tip you seldom ever hear is to ensure that you're nice to the receptionist. This advice is often overlooked or forgotten. But if you're interviewing for a job, for example, it's critical to make a a good first impression on everyone, including the receptionist. You know, and if you're working in the company, the receptionist is a secret spy. They know everything and they talk to everyone. So many candidates for promotion miss out on jobs or they get jobs because of the way they treated the receptionist and the word circled back to the C-suite. The last business tip you seldom hear is to stop listening to advice because too much advice scares you and you never get to do anything. Don't be afraid to be different and don't be afraid to challenge existing routines. Use your original creative talent and just go and do it. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that you get from me and my guests and my newsletter now that goes out every week, a summary of the radio show, which is getting great response, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, and don't forget to become a contact of mine on LinkedIn. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard. Absolutely no bullshit. 
business radio show for entrepreneurs. And remember, it's much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a really fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.